Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Back to the TARDIS podcast, the podcast where we take a look at every single episode of the 2005 revival of BBC's Doctor Who. I'm Jeff. I'm Skylar. And I'm Celeste. And today we are discussing Doctor Who Series 4 episode 10 midnight by russell t davies which is a side note it is the start of a like one two three four basically like like six seven episodes straight that have an rtd credit on them because you have the entire rest of series four, and I'm pretty sure every single uh, episode of the specials has an RTD writing credit on it. So, <laughs> kicking off an impressive run. Um, this, this is uh, this is the uh, companion light episode for this season. Um, obviously, Catherine Tate was off. Um, filming for the next episode, Turn Left, and as such only appears um, briefly. Um, yeah, uh, this, this, this episode, it's weird because it's a very, like, it's not an episode that you'd expect from RTD. Not at all. Like, it is surprisingly subtle. It's not over-the-top. It's not melodramatic. It's not overblown. It's extremely... So, like, this seems like the kind of thing... I mean... Okay, the the setup seems like something Moffat would do. The actual execution is definitely RTD, because I think Moffat would put more humor or, like, Moffat zing into the script whereas rtd plays it like a lot more straight here yeah it's especially interesting that um go ahead no i I was just gonna say like this would work perfectly fine as a big finish episode and and nothing would be lost oh totally i found it interesting looking into this that it's it's interesting that it's even like it's a little bit uncharacteristic for RTD, especially given that it's like basically a replacement script because this, yeah, the slot originally was a different writer, but yeah, because Tom of McRae, reasons, the person who wrote uh, the Cybermen two-parter. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting I, I, how that ended up turning out. I was gonna comment on like what you said about it being very Moffat in its setup, and like I definitely agree. Like afterwards, I was getting strong Moffat vibes just in this idea of like. It's just a very zany setting. Like, it's very Moffat in its setting. But then yeah. the direction it takes it is, like, totally unexpected. And, and, and I sort of agree with, like, RTD being more constrained here because there definitely is, like, some criticism of, like, ca- you know, sort of capitalism stuff. Um, or, and, and all, not, not even just cap, well, there, like, maybe, like, some stuff of capitalism, but, like, human nature. And not in the episode, but in the sense of, like, it, 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 in the sense of of how we as humans um can, can act when we're scared yeah but I, I i meant like just sort of the aspect of there being a resort on the planet it's like there is some criticism there but it's very much in the periphery and it takes the backstage to like yeah it's, it's not it's not yeah if this it, like if this had I could see something on this planet going entirely differently where it is about the fact that, yeah, there's a resort on this planet and not, like, the sort of constrained claustrophobic... um, Yeah. Almost... Let's say cosmic horror, because the other uh, synonym for that trope uh, involves uh, the name of a racist shitbag. (laughs) Yeah. um, it, It very much... Well, 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 sort of, you know, the the thing I was thinking of during the episode was, you know, you're uh, sitting inside a room at the end of the universe, the door is locked, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, 
and it's this it reminds me a lot of the of listen sort of the scenes at the end of mm-hmm. the universe yeah. um and, and just that's the sort of vibe i get this sort of existential horror of like just complete uncertainty like it's something you can't know yeah. at all yeah totally and it's the same sort of horror that moffat uses in that one episode and i think i guess that's probably why i associated it with moffat yeah. More so yeah, and, and 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 like listen, admittedly, listen. I think had more of a budget than this did because this literally had like a paperclip and a dead fish worth <laughs> of budget. Um, but like listen is almost like the same, well, sort of the same, the same, the same idea of, of something, something, yeah, or the, like the same idea of like literally something that cannot be seen and is not known. Except obviously at the end, like it's it's played a lot differently, and at the end, of course, it's revealed that in the end, it was complete. It was nothing. It was just twelve. Well, no, I, okay, I just it's, it's been, you know it's been we'll a while, get to that yeah. later. But it's, but it's, also it's, yeah, it's, sort of it's played it's played a different way. Also the um, yeah the nature of how constrained, and this, this is probably budgetary things, but the fact that like. For the most part, we are in a contained room where we have the same amount of side characters. We have the Doctor, you know, there's there's no side pieces. There's no, oh, Donna goes off with this character and talks with them for a bit and you get their story. Like, no, it's all in this one space. And the fact that they keep up that momentum um, and, like, just keep it strong from all the way from the beginning to where it's relaxing to the end where, you yeah. know you as the audience want tend to get as far away from these people as possible. Like yeah. it's, it's a, it's a ride. Yeah. Literally. It, it's, it's also like, it's definitely a case where it's, it's an act. It allows, uh, the actors to really just act like the, they just like fucking go hard on this one. Yes. This is very much a character driven episode. Yeah. Um, like there there are definitely places where like 10 like I can take or leave 10 but I definitely think like 10's a very like I I can't see this one hitting quite as well with someone else Yeah because I, it's I it's something to do with with how like the like the how like human and and fun ten is, but also the way that how David Tennant particularly can portray how absolutely scarred he is by this. I agree. I can see it working almost as well with either twelve or nine, but I definitely agree. nine nine. I could see. I don't think I could see twelve. He's he's a little bit too guarded to let that happen, and yeah, I I don't That's think true. I don't I don't think it would work as well with twelve. It would definitely work with nine though. I I yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't think it would work as well, but I could see it working. I can see it working in its own way, just not quite as well. But yeah, definitely, this is a very ten episode. Um, also, eight, just which would that... tie. Also, eight, which would tie in with the whole like, yeah, this could work as an audio drama thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because it is very much just <laughs> talking. Um, I mean, yeah, it is just legitimately a very character-focused episode, and and you know, sort of contrasting that with listen, which is an episode I love a lot, but that's very much a moving around, action-oriented take on a similar concept. Whereas this is very much just you're stuck in a room and the, just the whole episode is just them talking. Yeah. Um, and the way it sort of progresses and plays out is just very nerve wracking. Like I was anxious for a large part of this. I didn't, you know, I, yeah. I remembered roughly how this episode went, but it was a very long time ago. And so like, I felt myself being legitimately like anxious, like, damn, <laughs> like how the fuck is he going to deal with this one? Yeah. Um, and, and sort of, I think what makes this episode work so well is that it only works as a solo, as a solo yeah. story for the Doctor. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. it is. It is literally like if if there was like normally, it, it's a case where he tries and gets people to step into the temporary companion role, and they're not having it. And like obviously, if a companion was there, like none of it yeah if if a companion was there it it wouldn't be able to work in the same way 
it's because such a, the, yeah, on, the only way the only way it works is with um 10 alone enough yeah it's such a contrast to last episode because we were talking about how the whole like the doctor talks about himself and he kind of wins <laughs> Like happens for yeah. the first time, and this and turning then this his... one brutally discon deconstructs it. Yeah, it's like him talking more. Not only helps the monster, but it turns the people against him. Yeah, psychologically, and it's you know we get a lot less of that with eleven. To to Moffat's credit, in in twelve, that basically gets Bill killed. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's nice seeing yeah. that different side, which is why. Yeah, I personally think this could work with Eleven in some ways because he does have that kind of gish gallop tendency to like just ramble on. But like Tenant yeah, but is Eleven just never has a story this dark. No, not not it's, at all. It is it is fucking unfathomable to imagine him in this context. Yeah, this yeah. episode would not work with Eleven. Yeah. He is just, Matt, he is too I mean, gish galoopy. I mean, he could, but the problem is is that he was never written that way, so we don't really know. Yeah, I think, yeah. I like, think Matt like Smith could pull it off, but David Tennant... Until, until Capaldi. Da David Tennant <laughs> definitely brought that gravitas, and yeah. he's, he's, he's doing jovial, like, hey, I'm just hanging out with humans in this cool planet, that's awesome, to like troubleshooting doctor to like frustrated yeah. with humans and like sort of like early nine early 12 doctor he's mm -hmm. there's like a huge rainbow of like expressions and like shades to the character he pulls off um yeah i mean i i i'm thinking about this episode and honestly the way i would describe it is sort of this episode is exploring the doctor at his absolute weakest like yeah. just putting him in a situation where he just cannot work. Yeah. Because you know, sort of the last episode or, they're, they're facing yeah. off against a powerful faceless monster, you know, and it's similar to this, but the way the situation is he has this freedom of movement and he has this technology at yeah. his disposal that he can he can, you know, doctor his way out of it. He can zip things and zap things and make the machines yeah. go and whiz his way out of it all he wants. And then you get to this episode and it's He's stuck, and he needs to rely on other people, and that is the thing he cannot fucking do. Yeah. And he, and he also, 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 he can't, it, there's also a sense of it of he literally can't control his own curiosity. Because there are multiple points where he's like, okay, you know what, on second thought, let's just all go into the corner over here and then within minutes completely forgets it to be like, oh, this is interesting. It is like it's, simult like it's simultaneously like, yes, he can't get people to agree with him. But it is also simultaneously he actively makes the situation worse through his own curiosity. No, absolutely. And that's what I'm saying, that this is like an episode of him and his weakness, because this is a, a creature that uses his greatest weaknesses against him and he cannot solve it on his own and he doesn't the only reason yeah. he gets he it gets resolved so, yeah is because literally someone, someone dies for him um, yeah and because exactly like there's there's the moment in the episode where he you know the 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 creature in sky's body starts copying everyone else's speech and he gets everyone else to shut up and then just immediately starts he starts talking away at him. yeah like he does exactly what he tells everyone else not to do and it just shows like what an arrogant prick he's been he and the people are right like he's literally just showing up and he's trying to be you know this fantastical wanderer woo and everyone's yeah. like bro no what the fuck are you doing you're going to get us killed you are yeah. not like who put you in charge you are not some gallivanter get your fucking shit together if you claim to actually be yeah. you know the person who's going to save us you're literally making this all work and that's that's also why I don't think it would work with anyone before uh, anyone before eight, because they just they wouldn't provoke it to that point. Damn it, Sky. Maybe okay. Maybe six. Maybe mm, I don't know. Jury's jury's out on him, but <laughs> everyone else like seven would figure out what's going on immediately and be like, no, okay, I'm I'm not fucking with this.
Someone uh, would just push it out the airlock. Let's be real. <laughs> seven, actually, care. no. No, Seven would not have gotten on that tram without at least 15 potential escape plans worked out. That's true. Um, anyways, so, yeah. I guess, like, it, it's it's kind of... Like a lot of this, it's it's also an interesting case where like it's because it's so claustrophobic, it manages to introduce a significant amount of characters without running into forty-five minute syndrome because that's literally all there is. Um. But yeah. Uh. So. Everyone like uh, ten gets on this uh, tram to go see this sapphire waterfall. Um, when Donna's like, "Nah, fam." Um, and you I have know, to film the other there's, episode. There's fun... I can't do this. Yeah, yeah. There's fun jokes about like uh, fun jokes about like you know like airline shit about like all this music like music and cartoons playing simultaneously which he just turns off and you know what was really funny here was the fucking the line um where once everything turns it off of like we've got four hours of this four hours of just sitting here and tens like we'll have to talk to each other instead and that scene has been completely ruined ruined to me from the fucking like boomer moment from chibnall and resolution when all the wi-fi goes down (laughs) (laughs) it's been fucking ruined because see like it's still kind of cringe here but it's significantly less cringe because it's in a different context and in like an explicitly like not modern context like it's not necessarily trying for commentary every time i manage to forget that chibnall line and every time i remember it i i sigh a little bit inside and i just ah boy we sure came a long way since torchwood series 2 episode 11 hey you know we all have our character arcs uh negative character arcs in his case yeah Uh, all the all the side characters and actors are excuse me they are top tier they not all of them have equal amounts of like weight to pull but they all like fit into a stereotype that i think in another context the doctor whether it be 10 or someone else just in general the doctor could endear themselves to them but it's just like this is all the wrong people in Mm. Or these are the right people in the worst circumstance to find themselves yeah. collectively in. <laughs> yeah. And it's... Can I just, like... Uh, f- oh, fun fact. So, fucking... Uh, the Professor uh, is played by the uh, son of Patrick Troughton. Um, and his son, David Troughton's son, is an actor too, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Neat. Um Oh, I, I wanted to add more to the point of like the, the, the monster or not the monster, but like the the quote unquote enemy of the episode, like working directly working in a way that directly counters the doctor. Because yeah. I would say that the <laughs> Like the doctor is just so arrogant in this in this episode and it's what gets his shit like kicked yeah. in. Because and like and and like while I while I while I say like I don't necessarily see this working with doctors before eight in general, the single weapon that the doctor has that basically almost always has a uh like basically has like a ninety nine percent success rate is talking and this is this and a couple other examples are like the one percent where nope. Like this and like Caves of Androzani and a couple other things is like uh, the situ- the occasional situation where he literally can't talk his way out of a situation. Yeah, and, and literally in this one, talking is what makes it worse. 
he yeah. he has that moment where he's like, "No, guys, I'm clever." And they're like, "Are are you saying we're not?" And he's like, "No, that's totally not what I was implying. It's totally what I was implying." <laughs> and then, but the thing is, like right after that, that's when the monster starts latching onto him specifically. Yeah. And and you know, in his mind, he's like, "Oh, it's it's because I'm the cleverest god." And it's like, "No, bro, it's because you won't fucking shut up." yeah like that's my rating of it i don't think the monster yeah. lashed onto him because he was the cleverest it's because he wouldn't fucking shut up yeah um props to david tennant and the actress for sky um yeah. leslie sharp oh yeah no i was i was gonna move like i was just scrolling through the transcript to here to see if there was anything i wanted to mention before the like the truck gets stopped um and that's um the fact of how well the actress who plays sky well, first of all there's the fact that what what they are doing in terms of like saying stuff at the exact same time is fucking hard yeah like at the exact same like tempo and cadence and that like that's that's hard to begin with and then the amount of facial acting that she does is fantastic oh absolutely like the different ranges she goes through because she's she's you know a bit subdued at the beginning and i i, I would say she you know the facial expression that she has to do is sub you know i would call them subdued throughout the episode but the mm -hmm. way she plays on that and like makes these differences clear just through like body at body and facial acting is like mm -hmm. god damn because you know she starts out sort of just shy and then it goes yeah. to like the blank of just repeating back everything. And then you have the sort of, I, I wouldn't say blank, but I would describe it as like emptiness, like a soullessness behind the eyes yeah. that she conveys yeah. for the rest of the episode when she starts talking and moving for herself. And it's like, holy fuck, that yeah. is some good acting. Yeah. Yeah. The sad as... part is, it's like, it's almost so obvious what's happening because obviously we you know the audience we want to kind of like get what's going on but the fact that the doctor's just kind of made an ass of himself and made yeah. all he's this is a dialogue boss and like a classic like knights of the old republic uh rpg and he's just picking yeah. all of the worst options yeah so like everybody is against him. those roles consistently yeah everybody is against him even though like in a different situation if like if this person had latched on to Donna, like, he would be all over this. People would probably be so much more receptive to what's going on. But it's just, it's a victim of circumstance and of, yeah, it's just, it's very I mean, tailored there's, there's to screw also, him over. <laughs> there's also something of, like, the, like, yeah, like, of the, like, yeah, what if this played out differently? But the thing is, is that... We still don't know what the fuck we were dealing with. And if anything, like, obviously, like, the way things played out weren't great. But if anything, like, imagine the horror of that thing getting back to, like, humans with everyone else with so many more people talking. Turns out it was yeah. the timeless child. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Mother fuck fuck you. <laughs> um nice meme. Okay. But yeah, uh but yeah, no, the fact of like them literally like the the stuff that Ten rattles off to try and like confuse her and get her to break. Like, from a from a purely filming standpoint, that's hard as fuck. That's really hard. And it's it's a case where like the direction and the acting fits so well. I have to think. Doesn't doesn't this episode have an audio commentary? 
Probably. I haven't listened to it, but yes. Because <laughs> I've... It either has an audio commentary or I've read an interview about it. Because David Tennant went into the process of how he and um, Sky's actress, I keep forgetting her name, but like how they practice that over and over again about them mm-hmm. both learning like how each how each of them talk so that they could match it as close as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I have to like, obviously like we, we, we did it, we, the way that this episode is structured. I figured like, because there's a lot less plot, I don't think it makes sense to do like the same structure that we normally do. But so I just want to, I want to skip ahead to when uh when oh okay uh skip ahead to when uh sky advances forward and and is ahead of the doctor and then the facial acting on david tennant of how like yeah like it's 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 really like one of the few cases where he's completely broken composure and it is actually like in general one of the few times we see the character having completely broken composure in that way and and just like how he's like completely paralyzed and can't even fight back against the people literally trying to throw him into the environment that would instantly vaporize him. So I've heard theories, like fan theories, and I want to get y'all's opinion. There's obviously the whole, like, classic interpretation of, like, 10 basically at the end. Because of the finale of Series 4, he basically starts to, like, lose himself slowly and, like, break down and become more just unstable as an incarnation in like what he's willing to do and like what rules he's willing to break i've heard arguments that that really starts here like you could make an argument it starts all the way back when he loses rose but like this episode no there's i think i think it runs through the character and i i think it, it it i mean i don't know if it's unconscious but sort of my thought about it is in some ways like i've talked about how you know 12 and Clara is what 10 and Rose tried to be, but more obvious in sort of the commentary of like, this isn't necessarily a healthy relationship. And I think in some ways, the process that brought him back simultaneously coincided with Rose sort of enabling him. And he ended like become, became more and more arrogant after that. Yeah. As I said, there's, there's obviously no, there's no objective film analysis. Um, but, yeah, but, it's just something yeah, and, interesting and like, I thought like of. I don't think, well, Nine might have had the arrogance in places, but it, it's more a sense of, like, a, a like a distancing measure as, <laughs> as sort of like a, like a brusque, like, yeah. get, get the fuck off me sort of thing. Same with 12, actually. Yeah, it's a mask. Yeah, where, whereas... Whereas 10 is very friendly, but definitely has that arrogance. And I, I think I think it is a part of the character because it, it happens over and over again. Like, the, the his arrogance or, like, not particularly caring about, like, how he interacted with Martha, I think, was a very intentional example. Right, yeah. I think it's, I think it's a part of his character. I just think there's there's an element to him where he's just, like... I'm the last of my kind, I have a code, and it's around yeah. this time, probably, if we're honest, like, after Donna completely leaves him, that that slowly goes away, and he's just like, screw it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm arrogant, and I'm clever, and yeah. I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. And instead, yeah, instead of, like, in 11, it doesn't manifest as arrogance, it more manifests in just, like, please leave me the fuck alone, please. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to like yeah. Eleven yeah eleven uh, avoids his problems by just refusing to confront them. Ten avoids his problems by just assuming that they don't like they don't apply or just pretending that they don't exist. 
And 12 ignores his problems by shredding on the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Picking up hobbies, yeah. It's actually, it's a similar response, actually, yeah, I think. But in some ways, or, or yeah. Um... But yeah, no, it, it, and how obviously this, this turns into like how, how like the, the hysteria, hysterics in the situ in the room turns everything against him and he's, he's being pulled out until she slips up and, and speaks in his voice and goes, oh, and, uh, and the, uh, the hostess is like, oh, no, wait. Um, and really, I think like the perfect, the perfect end cap to this whole situation is the woman at the end being, being like, I, I said it was her. Like that is <laughs> RTD knew what he was doing there. It's like that person after like a terrible election that is just like, I knew that would happen. Yeah. No, you no, didn't. it's it's like it's 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 like the peak like <laughs> Yeah. Peak Karen. <laughs> um Yeah, and and how just completely like there isn't any, like, there's no, like, recuperation scene. There's no, like, speech after that. Like, Ten is just so gone at this point from this whole situation. And, yeah, it, like, in this is just, like, the entire, like, last 15 minutes is, is a side, like, you really don't see the Doctor in. Yeah, the fact that they like, like, like even like the closest exit, like closest analog I could think of, which would be eight in Zagreus and Scherzo, even that is not that broken in composure. Yeah, they they come back to the main spa station wherever the fuck Donna is, mm -hmm. and it's just silent. He's just, yeah, it's it's weird to see him not have that kind of like presentation about like oh i'm the doctor i'm the magical spaceman who loves life which you know is kind of an affectation that the doctor puts on anyway but it's mm -hmm. it yeah <laughs> it's weird not to see that yeah i mean i think one of the the like basically because the situation re resolves and then he's just quiet and then it cuts to him finishing his story to donna and like that's it there's no grand moment and then you know donna sort of misreads the situation and tries to like crack a joke and there's just that that fucking tension yeah. of him just staring into the distance and just saying don't just yeah. completely defeated and yeah. that's that's and the it's, moment it's, that yeah, it's, really the, the, reuse, the, uh, the reuse of that joke in a completely serious context. Yeah. I actually, I just now, I actually found RTD's script for the episode, and I, I'll link it in the show notes too, but it's it's got some notes in it that I think are... Uh, like they're not they're different from the transcripts which yeah it was i was like flipping through the end there and it's it's very interesting how he describes some of the the action um but yeah um and it's like this is like first 10 gets broken here and then donna gets broken in the next episode and it's just like, who, boy. And then the plot gets broken in the finale, and then... <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I'm probably gonna have some choice words to say about that fucking finale. Does Rose have a cameo in this? Yes. 
yes, she's on one of the in-flight, like, monitor screens, and Ten's not looking at her, but you can hear her, like, well, you can't hear her, but you can see her, like, shouting his name. Okay. Yeah, I... Briefly before they close up, yeah. I vaguely remember that, but then, like, the whole action of the entire episode happened, and then you just completely forget about that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, anything else before ratings? I got nothing. All right. Yeah, I I I really do think and it's it's kind of surprising for for new who for like this to be a new who thing, but I I really do think unless there is some classic episode I haven't heard of, and I, I really doubt that. I think aside from maybe, like, Shirtso or some, like, Big Finish thing. Actually, yeah, it's probably. Outside of Big Finish, this is probably the, like, the darkest Doctor Who story I can think of, and easily the darkest televised one. Like... It is, it's, it's so un-RTD-like to just sort of, like, ruthlessly, like, chainsaw all the, the series tropes apart in a way that, like, I mean, there's, like, there's ways that I would imagine RTD doing that, but not, not in, like, the way that this episode does it and how, like, like, subdued and claustrophobic it is. It's tense. It's extremely atmospheric. Um, it's good enough writing that even with the shoestring budget, I imagine you could do, like, if you took the actors and put them on, like, an amateur dramatic set of just, like, some, like, dining chairs on a stage, you could still pull it off. It's it's just an amazing tour de force of acting and easily... Uh, a 10 out of 10 episode well first of all the uh the most horrifying televised doctor who story is obviously orphan 55 so i I don't know where you're going with that (laughs) i didn't say horrifying i said dark there's a difference (laughs) fuck you i forgot your wording anyways um yeah no uh this is a great setup for an episode especially like basically a last minute replacement um it makes use of the limitations the real life limitations of you know donna and probably wanting like a more lower budget show uh david tennant is great and shows his versatility and frankly when when you talked about jeff about how you could see this being like put on like maybe like a like low budget like almost like a play scenario where it's just like yeah. a plain background it's like that's that's very in yeah, keeping no, literally for literally just just a stage play with like no set at all yeah just the acting yeah you definitely you know shakespearean theater acting obviously there's a lot of exaggerated stuff and you know you gotta go through a lot of motions with that and def david Tennant definitely shows his mm-hmm. you know type of range with this type of script and setup, the all the side characters are played more than competently. They all fit the role. They're all what they need to be. The monster and the atmosphere is, you know, there is enough to it that it like it makes it like terrifying, but not enough that it's like, I guess the more recent Resident Evil games where it's just like, oh yeah, this is like a normal thing now. It like it manages that balance really well. Um yeah, honestly anything I could say, it's like I cannot do justice with words how awesome this episode is. Uh in it it's like it's easily a top five, top ten of New Who. Uh yeah. A plus slash S. I don't know. Fuck, highest score. Fuck it. Yeah. Um, as I said, I think this is my favorite episode out of what we've watched so far. Like, for sure. I was thinking about it. And, like, yeah, you know, like, I think it was, what were my tens? It was, like, Dalek, um, Empty Child, uh, Family of Blood. I can't think. There might have been one more, but I can't remember. But 
I think that for me personally, this just is way beyond all of those. It's just so refined in what it does. There is just not a moment wasted in this episode. There's like every single moment there is something critical and amazing going on. Writing-wise, acting-wise, visually, just it's so thematically dense that I just I can't think of any way I could possibly improve it. It's just everything I want from this episode is there. <laughs> just solid 10 out of 10, super high 10, perfect 10. Yeah. Um, so next week, we will be talking about Series 4, Episode 11, Turn Left. Um, and uh, fun fact, I actually realized that on the current schedule that I'd mapped out, um, we will hopefully finish up RTD era like the week before Christmas. <laughs> so I, I figured we'd do that. So we finish up RTD era and then we just take two weeks off for Christmas and New Year's and then start up Moffat in the new year damn 2020 really all, all already almost be over that's crazy how we like started this with obviously with the uh yeah. reboot the uh relaunch think... with nine that's yeah wow. yeah we started in fucking march i think and i believe yeah we just like last week was our four oh no no sorry we started in january yeah yeah, uh, and we just reached our uh, 40th episode last week. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, until then, uh, it's time to move on. So, this week... We are discussing Torchwood Series 2, Episode 11, Adrift, by Chris fucking Chibnall. Somehow. And if anything, this episode is the single most, like, damning piece of evidence of, like, I know it is in him to be a better both a better like idea writer, scenario writer, character writer, dialogue writer. It, it it is basically I know it is in there somewhere for him to be a better writer than he has been. I'm starting to wonder if like tone is an issue if he just can't write for a show that's like that has to keep like that can only push so much if you know what I mean? Like, he's he's done good Doctor Who in the past. Like, I, I enjoyed 42. Yeah, I'll say it. But... Well, okay. Here's the thing, though. Is it more what he's willing to push? Because RTD are, you know, and admittedly, maybe there's the sense of the BBC breathing down his back and maybe telling him what he can and can't do, which, considering the bullshit the BBC has apparently been on recently, it doesn't necessarily surprise me if that was the case. But, like, for example, let's just take, like, the scenes in the episode between Gwen and Reese, which feel extremely realistically written and portrayed in our, our good scenes where like, I don't feel that level of character writing or realisticness from any of like contrast that the scenes with Gwen and Reese with the, can you hear me scene where 13's like, Oh, so, like, sorry, I don't really know how to deal with this. And while maybe that's a valid sentiment to have the way it is like written and delivered feels really bad. Yeah. Com coming from someone who like actually loves that episode, it's still like compared to this, the character work is amazing. And again, just, I don't, I don't know if this episode is more horrifying or I don't know if horrifying is the right word. I don't know if it's darker than midnight, but like, damn it's not <laughs> well okay darker 
I'd say about equal. It's not more horrifying. It's just depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was going... My commentary on it is I think that Midnight is overall a stronger episode, but yeah. purely on an emotional aspect, I'd yeah. say that Adrift oh, yeah, like more, the, the which level is saying of, a of lot, emotional, because yeah, the Midnight level of has a lot of emotion. Yeah. <laughs> the level of emotional writing that is in this episode is something that has literally... I don't even think in Demons of the Punjab, which is my personal favorite episode of Chibnall era, and I think the one that was that is close, like the only like definitive ten out of his era so far, I don't think comes to this. And admittedly, he didn't write Demons, but like nothing else that he has written has come to this. And in general, it feels kind of emotionally stunted. I think. Yeah. Like the closest that you get would be something like Graham talking to the doctor about his cancer or like the end of it takes you away. But in, can you hear me? The example is immediately ruined by third. Like it, it feels the show feels emotionally stunted and for like even Moffat era and especially RTD era, I think that is one of the most like damning parts of the, the show. Like, I just, I don't feel like I don't, I like when I watch like Chibnall era who like in general, if I'm not feeling utter disgust at like the timeless children, I don't, I don't particularly feel much of anything. Here's the thing with this episode. I I think like emotionally and character beat wise, this is virtually perfect. I had to like take a step back after the episode and like realize, okay, if you have an existence that's so horrible that, you know, the people that disappear to the rift and like are brought back here by Jack or whatever, that they're like screaming from like some type of like insane insane is the wrong word and inaccurate but like just that much trauma where they're screaming for over half of a day why would you keep them alive and i hate to I say don't, it that i don't i don't think jack i don't think jack can bring himself to do it like the fact that it is very clear to jack because of how jack acts in this episode it is very clear that he doesn't like that he has to do this either. And he, like he gets he gets touchy when it's brought up and tries and get to get to get Gwen to stay away. It is very clear that he doesn't like having to do this. And I I genuinely think that it is because he cannot bring himself to kill them. I suppose. It's just I don't know. It's a I could go either way on it, because like series Series one Torchwood Jack, maybe, but it seems there's like, I don't know, there seems to be, especially with his interaction with the Doctor in, like, at the end of series three, that he kind of comes to a more, he comes to a better understanding of his mortality and lack thereof, and there's other times where he allows people to, like, kill themselves, so... Maybe it's the fact that, like, he would have to do it that's, like, really getting to him. I don't, as I said, I could go either way. It's just kind of like a little plot nitpick I have. Because, as I said, the character and acting and characterization of everyone is just... It's great. It's just it's just the yeah. one thing I noticed that was kind of taking me out once I thought about it. And the, and the characterization... Like, not even that. The characterization of Jack in this episode makes me even saltier that the characterization of Jack during the five-minute cameo appearance that he had this season was just kind of like, well, hey, look at me. I'm horny future man. You all remember me, right? Fan service, fan service, wank, wank, wank. Like, I understand that there was only so much that they could do in this scene. But it just, it feels like a fundamentally, like, different character from even when Jack appeared in season three. He's very flanderized in that appearance, yeah. Yeah. 
And it's just like, you're literally the same person who wrote this episode. And like, I know for a fact that Torchwood was much more of a Chibnall joint than it was an RTD joint before like Children of Earth. And RTD had a lot more minimal involvement because like, I think he worked with Chris and stuff and like talked to him. But I think like the execution of stuff was more Chris's job the same way that he partnered with I, whoever he partnered with for Sarah Jane Adventures. And RTD focused on main Doctor Who. So, like, I know that it this isn't a case of, like, oh, RTD stepped in and saved the episode. I think it's just, like, a weird effect of... I don't even know what to call this, but, like, as a creator, sometimes, like you just happen to have your best ideas at the beginning or middle of your career. Because, like, if you look at, like, Gene Roddenberry's construction for Star Trek and, like, the original series versus, like, some of the weird shit he was saying for, like, TNG and, like, what he wanted that to be, you're just Remember like... Remember when he was like, I wanted to make the movie and then it ended up, like, so over budget that Paramount's like, yeah, we'll do more of these, but we're not letting him anywhere fucking near these. Yeah, or then, like, he was he was so involved in the last uh, movie for, like, the original cast, uh, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and then when he saw it, he apparently, like, hated it so much he was gonna take the production company or, like, the writers to court or something for ruining his property, and then he, like, died before that could happen, which, um, I love that movie, so I have complicated feelings on that occurrence, <laughs> but anyways, like, the point being, like, it's just a weird... I think it's just a weird quirk of life that we can have ideas that, like, come across really well to other people. And then just because of change or the fact that he hadn't written in the style of Torchwood or Doctor Who for, like, a while and then coming back to it, it's just... And maybe there's some of that BBC stuff also, yeah. like, hampering or that. Like... We we have no idea of knowing, but it's it's, it's so weird. It I don't even... Like, I have like difficulty I, explaining I haven't... it. I haven't seen any of Broadchurch, but from what I understand, it's a pretty good police procedural that does, like, has similarly good, like, emotional beats. And maybe that sort of procedural setup is something that works, like, this, like where Chibnall is at home with. And low-key, like, I had a thought last time I rewatched Woman Who Fell to Earth of, like, oh, man, what if we had, like, a return to the... Uh, the early uh, like John Pertwee years where he was literally stranded on earth and then we could do stuff that way. That would be pretty neat. And I think that would have almost fit his strengths more, but it's almost like he's not fully into it or he just, there's something like, I don't, I don't get the personality. Like I can see a personality here even of like that, that procedural setup and the personality and like, the, the 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 way that the just like the talks between Gwen and Reese or how Gwen and PC Andy talk and those interactions like I can kind of see okay I think that might be his strength I think that might be him because it's a similar thing of like he wrote Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and there's these really great interactions between Captain Jack and Captain John and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and it's just like either he has to do full show running stuff and that level of involvement is something that's left him burnt out enough that he can't just can't put his 100 into anything or he doesn't have the enthusiasm anymore. It feels like, like it, it feels like it is lacking enthusiasm, like, or like when he, where he does have enthusiasm, it's doing weird, like Moffat level twists which would shit like I already didn't like when Moffat did it. And now when it's like him trying to do his own weird, shitty canon altering thing, it's just like. Yeah. At, at least the hybrid didn't make the doctor trillions of years old. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's a weird thing. I, I only watched like 80% of the first season of Broadchurch because frankly that, show is one of the few that like crossed a line for me where it's just like i feel uncomfortable watching this but like jody was good in that yeah tenant was good in that the um i, I forget the actress's name but the the she she's like in a bunch of like british Olivia royal 
Olivia Coleman. Yes, that sorry. Um like she's good. It's it's weird as I said like maybe yeah, it's, people it's just like, find a niche and then it's hard to like get out of that. I don't know. It's I like, shame. I would really like Doctor Who episodes where discussions between the doctor and a companion were as frank or as in depth or as sort of focused as like the some the the stuff like other than the setup of like okay like like the the missing person's case and how it leads Gwen who's like always been sort of like the the heart of the team like on this even when Jack is literally like don't poke your head into it and and the brutal ending like yes that's strong too but also the B plot of Gwen and PC Andy and Gwen and, and Reese is just as strong like it is one of the most standout parts of the episode apart from the ending and that one part where you the Gwen totally walks in on Jack and Ianto raw dogging as you do like what the fuck <laughs> I don't know man <laughs> Chibnall rant aside, this is a this was a really good outing, and I I wish we saw more of this today. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like just like the entire way that this sets up like the way yeah just the way that it like goes through the like it's masterfully plotted no 45 minute syndrome it's torchwood strength which is using the alien setup in a like a normal like adult police procedural setup um with the relationship angle and the gwen and reese stuff and just like the the very final ending where gwen makes good on her promise but like reese can totally see that she is fucked up by this. It's just, it's, it's like this. I think this also is a 10 out of 10 episode. And I don't think, I literally don't think anything else that Chris Chibnall has ever written for the universe would be a 10 out of 10 for me. Oh, wait, did I rate, did I, what, what did I rate? Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Does anyone remember? Because in retrospect, I might drop that down a little bit. Because the other thing is, I have not—I hadn't seen this episode before this week. This was one of the two that I mentioned. Like I mentioned last week, like oh, I skipped these two and just went straight to the finale. This is one of the two that I skipped. If I had seen this episode, I probably would have been like a lot. Honestly, actually, no. Like while I'm disappointed, I will say actually, while I'm disappointed now that I realize like oh, he wrote this really great episode that has like so much of what i wish his run was i would be even more pissed if i had the knowledge of like oh he wrote this really great episode the entire time he's been showrunner yeah i don't remember um i wouldn't be surprised if you rated it a 10 or a 9 yeah if like if i rated it like an a plus i'd drop it down to an a and this gets like an a plus plus uh triple s kino raw goat swag what was the last oh chimes of midnight that was the last one i gave that rating to yeah it's just fuck fuck man (laughs) feels bad a a plus 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 Am I the only one left? <laughs> did did Skylar go? I don't think Skylar went for ratings. Oh, okay. We were, jump, we were jumping silence. in. Okay, I got it. There was a I, long silence, and I was like, "Is it my turn?" <laughs> I've, I've been on this podcast before. Shut up. Um, <laughs> thank you, Celeste. Um, so yeah, uh, this is a really great episode. Um, just. God, the character interactions. Like, next level. Something that you don't really expect from, like, a genre show. But it's it fits so naturally with the characters and the dynamics. Um, Jack is great. The, uh... 
what what happens to the people who are just you know by happenstance get sucked into the rift and lost and whatever that is like that is a terrifying fate um yeah. and we we didn't re- even really talk about the mom but like you know that oh that, yeah that whole thing is good too um yeah how how well it portrays grief and i think i think from what i understand broadchurch does a similar thing too yeah yeah uh, having only seen most of the first season yeah um but yeah the the only thing that like drags it down a little bit for me for like giving it a perfect thing is that i i still am kind of like so so on like why you would ever keep these people basically like in a living hell um you know i don't know as i said I, i'm still going back on back and forth on that but because of that i can only give it a a, a spicy a instead of a instead of a pog champ a plus coolio okay my turn i thought it was a 10 also I, I, I think Midnight is a better episode for sure. I would sort of, yeah. I, I would refer to this as like a quote unquote low 10 or an imperfect 10, sort of more in line with something like um, Empty Child or something like that, where it's, it's very much a 10, but I wouldn't quite call it perfect uh, like Midnight is. So, I mean, just there are some critiques there I could make about like maybe peripheral characters aren't as good or like, maybe so, you know some character isn't as great as they could be in this episode but just the absolute strength of the emotional core of this episode just carries it so fucking hard that it just makes it fucking special. yeah definitely um so next week we will be talking about the uh two-part finale to torchwood series two uh fragments and exit wounds um and that's probably going to be the end of the the torchwood segment as as you know it on the podcast while we do plan to cover children of earth um it's it's big enough that it's going to have its own own episode just devoted to it um yeah uh so like we may run like something else along the side especially like the specials or something like maybe for like next doctor or something will run like his appearance on sarah jane adventures or something like alongside that but probably we're gonna go back to covering just doctor who stuff each week after after uh after this because uh we're not touching miracle day with a fucking 30 foot pole because uh fuck that shit and of course, once we get to series nine, we will in fact stop covering Doctor Who, and then this will no, exclusively no, become a no, class we're show. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even seen class, but I can definitively say no, we're not. Yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> um, until then, uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at B2TardisPod. And you can support us on Patreon for a number of perks, such as early access to episodes, the ability to listen in live to the podcast as it is recorded, and potentially even the ability to guest star on an episode of your choosing. Also, if you pay me like 25 bucks, I will buy and play the Doctor Who VR game on stream. Um, I'm Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at WheatleyDL. And uh, on Twitch at Wheatley DLT. I'm sad, gay, and don't have a joke this week. Fuck you. You can follow me at skyhigh9 underscore 5 on the twitter.com. I'm really hungry. You can find me at Quixotic Queers. <laughs> and we will see you all next week. Bye.